Greetings and welcome back to Bombadil's Porch. I did notice, guys, on the last episode, there was no intro music. It was. I don't know what. Yes, there was. Was that what it was? Yeah, you were supposed to do that. You're, we we decided last week that you're supposed to do like your own intro music. So okay, I needed. I didn't know that. Uh, I miss. I missed the memo. <laughs> Maybe next time. Oh. Well, guys, good to be back. I've enjoyed listening in um, on your conversations over the past few weeks, particularly last one I thought was so relevant for our time. Thank you for sharing perspectives on our kids and the education and the the increasingly, I think, challenging environment that every parent has mm-hmm. and making these decisions. Not just one decision either. It's probably an ongoing set of oh, decisions. Yeah. I know in our family it is. So um, anyway, but it's good to be back. It's, sure. uh, I think, has it been a month that I've been away? It's been a while. Work travel, well, I was personal gone. travel? Hmm. I was gone one you guys recorded. Did we miss one in between there? Then we did two? We might have. I think so. Yeah. Here's what happened. Yep, but it has been a long time. Yep. Well, and I know this has been a busy week for you guys, too, as I um, have come in and out of the building. Caleb, I came in earlier, and you were wearing, like, a construction hat and a safety vest. You You were rocking out to a... You know, oh. air guitaring, <laughs> all signs that VBS oh, is yes. here, right? <laughs> I was rocking out in my office afterward trying to get a few things done. Clear your head after, yeah. after 200 or so kids running around the building. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually been, I mean, it's been really, really good. We've got a, just such a great set of volunteers and everybody this year, even people that are new uh, at VBS, just they can see they're just... They're all, everybody's in their lane and everybody's doing their thing and, and getting it done well, but also working together. So that's been helpful. I think everybody's done a good job and we really haven't had, you know, a couple of bonks and scrapes here or there with some of the kids from games, which happens every year. And, you know, um, but otherwise, yeah, it's been really. How many volunteers are involved? I mean, there's full-timers. I mean, you guys, have yeah. your, you have your day jobs and then you do this too. How many sure. people are involved in pulling about, this off? About 137, I think, wow. is what the... <laughs> it's about 137. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure we've missed missed a person here or there. And that's that's mm-hmm. people that are, that are you know, came to help set up and people... I mean, we missed some of the guys that came and set up the big tent, for example. I don't think they were all in that count. Mm. But, but, you know, the people that, that signed up to I'm volunteer... Pushing 140 easy. Oh, yeah, probably, yeah, probably closer to 150. I do like that about 137, though. I do the same thing at work all the time, and it's because you're not quite sure if your recall is going to kick in or not, right? So I was on a call earlier today. I was kind of holding holding some folks accountable about various details and, uh, well, folks... uh, couple companies anyway. So, uh, there was some issue and I, and I found myself doing the same thing. Mm. They said, well, how many in is it? And I said, well, I'd have to estimate that it was 42,610,793 because I just saw the number in my head. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I said, so that's your estimate. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I, now the, the sense, you know, I'm not sure, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> you never know though, when the memory will work or when it will fail. Yeah, you, when right? you're going to have to stop at yeah. the 42,000 or whatever, whatever it may be. Yeah. Or take. Oh man. Uh, well, okay, very good. Uh, by the way, kudos to the to all those folks involved. Uh, youth mm-hmm. group last night had our small group. Um, my small group, actually, thank you for helping. I think I saw you across the field helping, yeah. Chris, because the small groups were rather large last night. Mm. Mine was a bit of chaos. I, I had I had <laughs> nine or ten wired mm. middle school boys, um, but when we went around and we did a high low check in. 
uh, a number of them, their high was being involved in VBS this really? week as LITs, oh, leaders in training. I thought that was really cool. Good. Um, the, you know, f- even the ones that are a little more uh, reserved and, and withdrawn, I've been hearing that they just, that whole role, they've kind of been almost extroverts. So and yeah, and, and it's good to hear. And props to the middle school ministry, uh, high school ministry as well. You've turned out some great uh, volunteers, but <laughs> middle school, I mean, a lot of those LITs, if you listen to the teachers uh, at our, at the staff meeting at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we kind of have a, a time where people can kind of give shout outs or, or just, you know, praises and stuff. And it's amazing the number of, uh, of LITs that are, that are called out as being, you know, doing a good job, stepping up, sharing the gospel, engaging mm-hmm. the kids. And it's like, wow, you know, so almost bringing some of the, the staff as they're sharing that, the, the adult volunteers mm-hmm. to, Volunteers to tears. Mm. So anyway, it's a, putting you the tear in the volunteer. Yeah, you can see putting the yeah. tear in, in the in the staff hall, the older the volunteers. So good the for teachers them. and stuff. So yeah, that's 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 good, and that's a good testimony of our of our children's ministry and youth ministry. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and so and the parents too. Yes. I mean, I just I I'm good routinely time. impressed at the quality of the kids running around mm-hmm. the building here yeah. week in and week out. Uh, by the way, on the high lows, the low. And this came from three or four of the LITs was that only high schoolers were allowed to participate in the dunk tank or something. So a <laughs> little bit of feedback to you there's, guys. There's some dunk tank drama. There's yeah. been like uh, secret campaigns and oh flyers and yeah. Yeah. It got a lot of hand. I had to, had to ratchet it back in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, they were getting a little wired. And I, I, at one point in my small group, I think when we were talking about VBS, I, I had to have everyone turn in their lightsabers. So mm. kind of shows you what the heck's going on in youth group that we've got lightsabers. There are a around. lot of lightsabers <laughs> at youth group. Well, one kid cracks me up. So, so come into youth group, I usually sit in the back because I'm usually running late and I'm usually eating dinner while I walk in the door. Right. Um, it's funny though, when you come in and you sit right behind your, you know, the kids, cause you know, you, you might need to remind some people to, to pipe down or pay attention. <laughs> I'm always amazed at how many weapons or people are wearing. Like, uh, we've got one guy, he's got a lightsaber and sometimes a bow staff. Other kids have little Nerf pistols in their holsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That is what you call, uh, Unintended consequences, because I'm going to just blame. I'm going to call it out on air. That is, that's Jared Jarvis's fault. Uh, I'm going to call him out because you see he stoked an environment of he did right. So so the rumors began to spread about this uh, great Jedi Knight named Jared who presides over the youth ministry activity time. Uh, and and all of the epic nerf battles and lightsabers because he has like this legit you know nice lightsaber that he brings to camps and such. And then they've had rumors from our various you know summer camps and stuff of these these huge epic battles and showdowns. And so I think somehow the rumor got out to all the incoming sixth graders that like <laughs> youth group is nonstop epic Star Wars themed nerf battles, and and they all geared up like oh, they yeah. they all. You know, my daughter included was like, uh, I need to start, you know, exercising and getting in shape for all of these epic activities I'm going to be doing. And, uh, I mean, she was, she was taking it very seriously. And, oh, that's great. Uh, and she's a you know, pretty competent little Jedi in training. But, uh, yeah, I, I think some of them when they showed up were a little bit like, 
when when does the battle start? <laughs> and maybe a little disappointed. <laughs> oh, and the, there was a, a weekend battle recently where I think yep. the only it must have been epic because only high schoolers or older were allowed. And boy, that was a controversy. <laughs> boy, we that was the big thing in small group and in prayer requests. Prayer, do we have any prayer requests? Yes, that they will lower the age for the upcoming battle. Uh, I, I think I, I think on that one I might have said, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to bother the throne room of heaven on that one, but. You're free to pray on your own with that. But um, (laughs) anyway, it all worked out. It did. Yep. Well, anyway, I think I just credit back to you guys because you're on one end of these big weeks, VBS probably being one of the biggest outreaches of the year, I would Mm. guess. I mean, there may be others. Um, just about how enthused the kids are, not Mm -hmm. only the kids that are attending, but the kids that are volunteering as well. So cool. Good stuff. And I think, I think today... Because Anita and my kids are both in, are all involved. I think we were talking about this while we were throwing food down last night to get to youth group. I think today was an evangelistic day. Yeah, today is yeah, typically day three or four, right around there is kind of the, the big. Yeah, and today was was kind of resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so big gospel day. So yeah, oh, that's yeah great. I got to yeah. talk to a number of students today. Yeah, they so brought some down your way, and yeah. yeah, I heard about some of those. So l- uh, like <laughs> to hear more when uh, when we when we press get when we turn the record <laughs> button off. Hear more about how that sure. uh, how that turned yeah. out. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, guys, for letting me get caught up on uh, the goings on here on the <laughs> porch. The I will say I don't know if you have you particularly enjoyed the weather around here. I mean, it, it, so so we had a, a long spring. Mm-hmm. cold and wet. And I think it was June before we actually got to maybe 80 degrees or mm. more. I don't know about you. I like the heat. Mm. The last couple of weeks just been fantastic. I don't like the heat. Oh, you don't. Okay. So you're hating it. <laughs> I prefer it. the, uh, you know, 72 year round would be fantastic. Uh, I bet you like snow in the fall. So I, yeah, well, you know, I, well, I don't mind the heat. 62 I, to 72 is most of the year. I appreciate the heat because it gives me an excuse to go sit in my pool. That's not really a pool. <laughs> you have off a pool? The, I'm well, coming over. Post a He's picture spoken of this Facebook. pool and I, the more he describes it, the more my mental picture is a five gallon bucket. Yeah. It basically, it's, it's, it's a little bigger than that. It's, it's essentially like a, a koi pond. What is it? Probably like, probably like a, a seven the, foot in, uh, diameter. Where is it in the yard? In the right. back corner? Yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, kind no, of. that's the duck pond, right? Well, the, the back far corner. back corner we've got a, uh, is the duck pond now with okay. some fountain at some point. Uh, this one's kind of, yeah, it, it was a, it was somebody's koi pond slash whatever. I don't know oh. what they were doing in that thing. Had a waterfall feature that we tore out. <laughs> and it's but we sad. left the big, big tub there because it was this nice big plastic black mm-hmm. tub. And we're like, what are we going to do with this thing? And I said, well, we took up a, somebody had mm-hmm. given us an inflatable pool mm-hmm. that had a million holes. And so we threw that away, and I kept the pump and filter and hooked it up on there. Nice. And so now we just, you know, we run run water in there, get a little heater once in a while if it's too cold. But this time of year is nice because you want it kind of cold. You know, you get home, you want to just mm. sit in there, and I've got these little bricks I can sit in, and it's just basically like, it's like a cold tub. Whoa. It's like sitting in a hot tub, but it's the opposite concept. <laughs> so this is really the only time of year to use it is when it's like 90 plus degrees. You know, Otherwise, it makes no sense. Right. I'm, just, so, I'm waiting for a winter when uh, we get the little like video clips of, of Caleb doing the sauna routine where he's like in his little hot tub, then jumps up and sprints out and dives through the ice on yeah. his little koi pond. Yeah. Well, we, we, we drain it and cover it for the winter. So <laughs> Every don't time worry. I'm going to go through whistle stop, I'll be... Trying to peek up over the fence, get some get some uh, some shots, some fo- embarrassing photos I'm of Caleb the, uh, in the pool. 
Yeah, there. there you go. <laughs> oh yeah, just vegging and enjoying. Uh, uh, but I don't, I don't love the heat. I love, I love that the heat um, allows my peppers to grow. Yeah, uh, I like that my the plants, uh, some of my garden plants like the heat, but I don't really like the heat. Mm, Chris, so what sorry. about you? Um, I, I enjoy this weather. I'm not a big heat guy. You know, I, I was raised in the rainy environs of Seattle area, mm, yes. and so that. I had to pick sort of one, one weather pattern that makes me feel most at home. It is that kind of green and temperate and wet, uh, but I love, I love the seasons. And so mm-hmm. the fact that it gets on a little uncomfortably hot for me in the summer as, as variety, I, I like that. When I lived in LA and it tended to just sort of get stuck at that setting for long <laughs> portions of the year. Uh, then I tended to be a little uh, tired of that. Uh, and if it was stuck, probably frozen solid all year long, that would also get tedious. But but I, I really do enjoy and appreciate about this area that we get the seasons. It is nice. I, I This is the first place we've lived that we ever ran an air conditioner. Since uh, hmm. when I say hmm. we've made any since we've been married, um, it was when we first moved to the area in the first couple summers, like just it's in our minds... We never even mm-hmm. thought differently. We're like, oh, n- no one can afford to run air conditioning. Mm. We can't afford to run air mm. conditioning. So, you know, you kind of grow up with that mentality. And uh, we were over in Ponderosa there in the first couple summers, man, you were just baking. And I had this whole system of closing windows at certain times of the day and opening mm. them and getting mm. the fans going and all this stuff. Yeah. And then my parents who live overseas were going to come visit us. And they were going to stay because we didn't see them that often stay for several weeks. And we thought, you know, we should, we should run the air con, but, um, let's do a test. And so before they got there, we, we ran the AC, the central AC in this house. And I remember the day that Nita came in and she had the power bill in her hand. She had not yet opened it. We both <laughs> sat down preparing ourselves for the worst. She opened it up, took a look at it. And the difference was like 15 bucks. And we were like, what fools we've been. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been running it nonstop. Uh, ever since. Well, nice. not nonstop, not quite. But anyway. Do, um, you know, do you know who else could but does not run air conditioning systems? The Germans. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. I had a conversation with my brother and sister-in-law about this this week. They live over there in Germany and they were describing uh, that they've had a very toasty heat wave coming through and it's been really hot in the house. And so I asked them if they had, well, do you have air conditioning? No, we don't have any air conditioning. Is that pretty typical in Germany? Like, yeah, they hardly ever run into air conditioning. Like if you go to a grocery store, they might have Mm -hmm. an air conditioning unit in the refrigerated section Mm -hmm. to try to help keep their equipment from, you know, Mm. but otherwise, no. And I was like, really? Is it just a, not a thing? They're like, well, you know, we try to take, take saving the planet seriously. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. I take it um, seriously, but uh, not that seriously. <laughs> yeah. So if you ever wonder why Germany has no chill, now you know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, the, Italian, uh, the Italians don't use it either. Uh, the Italians very, That's why their very... prime minister stepped down. Probably. Actually, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> that is a whole other discussion. So somebody texted me and was like, hey, why did the Italian prime minister step down? And I was like, what? Uh, let me call you because uh, it's more complicated than yes. uh, anyway. But uh, but in Italy, a similar thing. I mean, even mm. at, at like the mall, it's like they set it to like 82 or something. Right. You know, and so wow. or may, maybe 78, like 78 is the lowest they'd go with with air conditioning. And, you know, so, you know. 
big fat American walking around sweating like crazy. Man. You know, it's like ninety five percent humidity outside, and it's like it, it about a hundred degrees. Might explain why we're go like it. Yeah, might explain why the Germans keep invading people at least from generation <laughs> to generation. They're in search of cooler weather, perhaps. <laughs> there we go. Um, but it also might explain why Americans are often too chill, even when I've been in desert mm. environments where there's you know there's I don't know some kind of a work environment in a tent and stuff. Even those are air conditioned. Yeah, the the Italians just say that you know you need to be able to let your body your body will adjust according according to them anyway to the temperature so you won't feel as hot in the summer if you don't use air conditioning and you won't feel as cold in the winter if you don't use as much heat and there is some truth to that what? yeah uh, here comes our segue but it's so un-american oh totally <laughs> i would say a sign of civilization there's Ooh, our segue, yeah, yeah, segue. Uh, is, is air conditioning <laughs> If not a sign of civilization, it's probably, I think I watched a show on this once, like the, the, the greatest inventions mm. and Aircon was like a top five, but it wasn't because, mm. and, and it was, it wasn't just because it, it feels better. It had to do with, it was air conditioning was invented to cool equipment and in industrial environments, but air conditioning actually made, uh, made more, well, more brutal, um, weather areas, hotter areas mm. livable. I mean, you, there, you can imagine how many people would live in Phoenix if air conditioning wasn't available. Or Houston. <laughs> Probably not as many. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Chris, you found this. By the way, I love the font here. I feel like I'm reading. A, I feel like I'm reading like a classified document from the 1950s here. Um, oh, I wish you guys go. could see this. Yes, I wish you could. The ever popular courier. Yeah. Or Let's you... pop this over to where's my Helvetica new? Oh, there you're going to Oh, no, no, I can't read it. It's just more. Very modern now. Boink. There we go. Oh, too big. Big font. Okay. So, Chris, you found, this, you found go. this article, and we, we don't have time to go point by point. No. But, but <laughs> it's this, more the topic that it how, raised. How to recognize civilization when you see it. These are the things yeah. that we take for granted, I think. Uh, we don't really, uh, we just assume civilization has been mm -hmm. and shall always be. You want to give us a little tour of the, the highlights of the article? Sure. Uh, Tracy, Lee, Tracy Lee Simmons, writing at The Federalist, put together an article that's really an opinion piece, uh, and it was adapted from a speech that was actually given at a teacher training conference on <clears throat> what are the signs you would look for to see, or that you would want to see if you were staring at a healthy civilization. Uh, there are people that group up together all over the world, and some of them have done that quite successfully, and some of them have done that catastrophically unsuccessfully. Uh, so she's she's asking what what would make one group of people more civilized than another, and and then she goes on to uh, to make some uh, you know op general observations before introducing a large list of characteristics that she says would mark a civilization as being more or less civilized, and just framing that from the outset is an interesting uh, exercise because whether you want to do it consciously or not, you're automatically now appealing to some standard, right? And so I was going to say, this is judgmental, isn't it? Like this, right. you, you could say that one country's definition of civilization is not equal right. to another's. Right. So your worldview has to account for a few things. One, is there such a thing as civilization, right? From the, the root word city, you know, that you're now moving, moving together as people into a successful integrated social fabric. Uh, you have to, see that as a thing. Um, mm. If you're evaluating if something is more or less civilized, you've already made a valued judgment on whether or not that's a good thing or not. And so you might come from a culture that says, wow, look at those civilized people. 
oh, horror. <laughs> you know, we don't mm. want to be civilized. We want to be independent or whatever. Uh, so you're making a value judgment on that. And then you're also then making an appeal to some standard that can arbitrate between civilizations to decide who is doing that uh, better or not. And that better could be a utilitarian appeal uh, based off of, you know, economic numbers or something like that. That could be based off of some kind of, of social appeal as to how you're structured and what frameworks you feel are better or not. And that could also be based on of a moral appear, appeal, uh, who is being more good as a civilization. Uh, so not a lot of that was discussed in detail in this article, but I'll you know, give a little sampling of some of the, yeah. the kinds of things you raised. But then I, I thought that would make an interesting question for us. Uh, we do live in a city and we are raising little citizens that will be part of this civilization. Uh, and and as yeah, Christian dads, that raises some interesting questions. But she says, for example, a basic sign of civilization is when we realize both consciously and instinctively that human beings are improvable but not perfectible. So a lot of interesting uh, philosophical underpinnings to that observation. That, that one definitely is debatable mm. these days. Yep. Uh, when the family, not the state, is acknowledged as the basic and essential unit of society. Hmm. Uh, scrolling down a little bit, when we recognize that there are no rights in a civil society without responsibilities. Uh, Quick question there, yeah. just, just with those three. Um, <laughs> so this article, uh, the way uh, Tracy, right? Tracy Lisa, mm -hmm. yeah. is that who it was? Mm -hmm. So the way she writes this is how to recognize civilization when you see it. Already, now I agree mm -hmm. with her comments, but there are civilizations that mm -hmm. don't adhere to these things. Right. So this is, she's making, as you said, an opinion piece about probably in her view, what would be the right kind of civilization. Right. Which is clearly Christian or Judeo-Christian, clearly conservative based off of some of the things that she says that that's the, the moral and ethical framework she's working from. The USSR would not have fit into these categories, although it was a civilization. No. Didn't last. It was a, right. And that's part of what she would say is yeah. it was claiming to be a great civilization, but it was not. It was already on uh, the descent into chaos which is inevitable when you abandon these principles. Uh, the, the, yeah, the hallmarks well, of true civilization. Looking at those, man, I think our civilization uh, would be that's probably her would point. Be, would be would be struggling already. <laughs> We're only like uh, looked at three of them. That's probably her point in the writing. This right, the reason that we are in downfall is because we're we're moving away from right. these principles. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some of them I appreciate uh, as a youth pastor when children wish to be and look forward to being adults. I liked that one. Mm -hmm. um, had a fun talk with uh, the middle school boys last night. One of the things I was asking them was, do you think you're a kid or do you think you're a young adult? You know, so that was my mm -hmm. opening question. And so they went around and yeah. I said, you know, what do you think the difference is? And on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you about the idea of being a grown up and leaving being a kid behind? And had the whole gamut and some you could tell their parents have been investing in them and they're it was really really neat to see these sixth grade boys saying well i can't wait to grow up and i'm looking forward to the responsibilities mm. and the freedoms that you know it's like it was like mm. a speech and the freedoms that come with those responsibilities <laughs> and so i think it's going to be super great so 10 out of 10 you know i'm excited about growing up and others were nope <laughs> you know i want <laughs> I want to be a kid. There's too much work. You have to pay taxes. You have to get a job. You have to, you know, do what everybody says. You know, da, 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 I want to be a kid. And so that that is a sign of a healthy, I think, civilization yeah. is when 
kids do look forward to growing up. So there's there's a bunch of these things. Oh, go, on, go back on the list. up. There was one there that I thought was important. Okay, where was it? It was something about when wine. Oh yeah, is considered essential to human flourishing. So <laughs> so we get a little sense that she um, didn't say this is a whimsical she's wine a, glass. She's a wino. Yes. Yeah. she said it's a, like whimsical wine glass manifesto. Yeah, or something, you can always so. tell those DC Beltway folks. You know, I, <laughs> I actually don't know where she's writing from. I but. do like the uh, couple there. Uh, where was it about movies? Where movies are made more. More, more movies are made for grown-ups than, than children. Kids. Yeah, <laughs> totally agree there. So yeah. there's, there's, but so clearly, <laughs> so she, it's whimsical, yeah, but it's course. also mixed with, I think, some some thoughtful observations. But it, it raises that question of, and and this touches on a, a theme that I know you wanted to also bring up today. From a Christian standpoint, what is our relationship to the notion of civilization? Mm-hmm. Is civilization a concept that is derived from a biblical worldview or that is in competition with a biblical worldview? And and depending on how that question gets answered, then what ought to be our relationship to it in either helping it to flourish, trying to bring about its demise, uh, trying to reinvent it in some other form uh, as as those that would not just look at a you know, a whimsical list, but would try to turn to the authority of the guy who invented everything, everything that's uh, right. and say, okay, God, what, uh, what did you have in mind here? I, I had a, and we'll get to that in just a second. I had something come ah, to mind though, okay. that I thought was kind of interesting. So I was, uh, recently I was on a, I was traveling for work and, um, I happened to be dining in this restaurant next to this beautiful river. We were eating outdoors with a group of people there. It was nice. And especially since I wasn't paying, it was even better. <laughs> and, go. um, somebody at the table had found, I don't know how they found this, but you know, who knows how work people find things, but they had found this photo of me with, with some tribesmen, one who had a bone through his nose. And I remember the day, I remember the picture, I remember the, everything mm-hmm. about it. And they were like, what's going on here? So I start to explain to them, you know, the situation, <laughs> it was a little while back. And, um, mm-hmm. I talked to them about the fact that the missionaries in this area are often critiqued for changing the culture. And before I could complete what I meant by that, one of the, um, people at the table, highly educated, kind of a power broker, sort of a personality, this lady, she says, well, who are we to determine what's right or wrong with other cultures, especially when no one's, they, they don't have our experiences and we, and they haven't been educated the way we have. And so, um, she was kind of getting to my point <laughs> faster than I was, uh, fortunately. Gotcha. And, and of course I said to her, I said, well, I guess it depends on who you are in that society. I said, if you're the guys that I was posing mm-hmm. with, they're kind of top of the food chain. I said, but if you're with the victims of this bloodletting culture, the women and the children, uh, it's a different story. She <laughs> says, what do you mean by that? I said, the entire <laughs> culture is based upon killing. Uh, when you get into the into these back hills of Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. um, prior to Western Im- intervention, and I see more specifically missionaries going in and talking about the quality of life and the equality of each person before God, all these themes. I said prior to that, um, they believe that everything is possessed by evil spirits, the, these tribes up in these mountains. They believe that if, if in my little village, suddenly there's an outbreak of some kind of sickness, well, then obviously the village on the other side of the hill has cast a curse on us. 
and they sent, they sent the spirits to make us sick. So the only way to stop that, and of course, I'm speaking about this from the tribe's cult perspective. The only way to stop that is for us to go kill someone in that village. Hmm. And I said, and they don't go attack the strongest. They attack the women and the children and the elderly, and they kill them brutally, savagely. And it was interesting. And suddenly this woman, she said, well, that's wrong. I said, I know. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you win a prize. That's what it's like to see your worldview change in an instant. So clearly there is right or wrong. It's just mm-hmm. a quick. Now, if I had said that the, um, I think if I had, now I was being, was I being slightly manipulative? I don't think so. But if I'd pick, if the victims were different, she might've felt different. If the mm-hmm. men were going and killing warriors in the other village, she probably would have thought that was okay, but somehow mm-hmm. the weakest. So I think, uh, yeah. I think it and is. And for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think it's fascinating <laughs> that people, it is. I, I, we take a lot for, for granted and we just kind of go along, whether you're saved or not, <laughs> whether you're a Christian or not, a lot of times you just go through mm-hmm. life casually making decisions and judgments without, without ever being challenged actually. And so I think there's, I mean, that's probably a whole new event in terms of our evangelism, Mm -hmm. as we um, interact with, with people in this, in this darkened culture, um, I think you have to be looking for the opportunities to bring glory back to the Lord and introduce people to Christ. You have to be looking for those in different ways than previous cultures Mm -hmm. where I don't know about you guys, but I was raised in a, in a context, in a church context where uh, it was evangelistic. I think a lot of us were kind of trained to share the gospel in a certain way. And I'm not saying that the gospel's changed, obviously not. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but if I start talking about the four laws or I start talking about all the things that you used to be able to kind of assume people knew what you meant, for example, who God is, uh, you, you are getting strange looks now because you're talking Mm -hmm. a jargon that a lot of people, even though they look just like you and they have probably more college degrees than you, have never heard. Right. And so you're in a conversation where you have got to even take a further step back. Um, and so that's kind of what I was sharing with you guys earlier, mm-hmm. that um, as believers living in this civilization, because mm-hmm. the civilization that she describes, while well, we all agree that's the sign of a healthy civilization, this is not the civilization we're living in. Mm-hmm. It's changed. And not for the better. So the question for us is how, how do we live in this culture in a way that brings mm-hmm. people, that, that brings people into introduce, mm-hmm. introducing them to Christ. What happens at that point is business between God himself and them. Right. But, but how do we live and is it different than previous generations lived? And part of that, you know, when, when you raise the, the, that suggestion that we don't live in that same culture, uh, some of that is, I think is contextually true, meaning Manhattan, that is not Manhattan culture. That is not San Francisco culture. That's not Seattle culture. There are broad swaths of this nation that very much do echo a lot of these principles, but they account for a very small fraction of the population. And so you have that always uni- unique phenomenon about population uh, concentration yeah. that that creates localized cultures that have outsized influence. Uh, you, I, I was sharing some statistics at our youth group last night and talked about, you know, like in China, 94% of their population is all in the Southeast. Yeah, you know, that for graphic example. you showed was fascinating. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny, global... 
I'm not going to be able to describe it here on the, on the air, but uh, basically you see that of this entire planet, there's a few places where everybody lives <laughs> and most right. of it's empty. And that, there were some of the extreme things that I didn't even mention there, which was, if I remember the statistic correctly, you could still actually take all the people on the planet. And if you just squish them side by side, like just standing room only, squish you all in, you could fit the population of the planet on on all the boroughs of of Manhattan, hmm. you know, which is staggering to think. Yeah, uh, and so there's are we at seven billion now? Something yeah, like that. Right, yeah. and so there, there's a lot of people, but not not as many as you might think. But they tend to concentrate, uh, with a notable exception being, you know, I think you, the chart was like, whoa, hello, India. <laughs> you know, it's like wow. that whole that whole country just elevates out of the map. But everything else is very yeah. sporadic, and so th- this is a uh, there's there's very much a tale of several cultures going on mm. in America right now, and we are in we're in um, a cross tide region here in Spokane, yeah. which is interesting because we've we've got a history that's not real keen on the West Side, yeah, and its culture, but then we've imported it via all of our colleges and universities. And that's been going on for a while now. And so that has had a significant impact on local governance and and school system and culture. And then a lot of people moving into the area from those places to have a a big effect on our neighborhoods and our community life and and voting and all that sort of stuff. And then if you move further to the the east of us, it gets noticeably redder again. And, you uh, know, I want to um, and with with all respect to our Idaho listeners, <laughs> have you guys noticed a change in the vibe in in northern Idaho? Hmm. And by and, and I'll be real specific about this. And it's purely anecdotal, but I've noticed an a more of an edginess, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. of an anger. And, and I've noticed it here too in Eastern Washington. And I find it interesting to your point, politically it's red, but there's an edge. Um, I I saw, I was just telling somebody recently, I was in downtown Coeur d'Alene. I like going over there, but it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, there's, there's a, there's a different vibe over there. I don't think it's actually as, as easy going as it once was. Mm -hmm. And and actually I think what's come out of the, the COVID era, right? Mm -hmm. The divisiveness, Mm -hmm. this isn't just Northern Idaho, but in terms of red areas, uh, is more of a rebel vibe. Yes. And uh, in fact, there's a store I was kind of stunned by it. And I, and I, I don't want to think of myself mm-hmm. as somebody that's like, you know, church lady clutching her pearls. But I was just even walked into a store in Coeur d'Alene. I think it was called the Northwest store or something like that. Who knows? You know, it's mm-hmm. the same, it pretty much correlates the same store over mm-hmm. and over again, just different names. But I walked in there and like the whole store is, and, and, and pardon me, I won't say the actual words, mm-hmm. but pretty much socks, t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats that are pretty much saying F whatever, mm-hmm. right? The actual word. <laughs> right. Sure. And, and I, and I think that is indicative of the divide and, uh, and actually, and, and to your point as <laughs> believers, we're caught in the midst of this, even if politically we might mm-hmm. be right in terms mm-hmm. of like le- right leaning the, the right, it's kind of this reminder that mm-hmm. the right is not necessarily right. Yeah, it may be closer mm-hmm. to us, but there is still mm-hmm. a, there are a lot of unchristian right wingers. And, uh, and, yeah. and, and that's actually a pretty, it's just as dangerous as the, as non-Christian left wingers. Mm-hmm. But you know, I didn't mean to take us on a yeah, political and, and rabbit I would, hole. You know, 
we tend to think of left wingers and right wingers as those that are likely to like blow a building up for various reasons. Yeah, if you get um, way out there, that's yeah, probably true. Um, I think what way. you are seeing is the the progressive the progressive left, um, in using that more as a technical term. Um, <laughs> it's hard to find any term that anybody's willing to accept anymore. Are you talking like but the not, militant left, the Antifa type? I I would yeah I would say those Maoists, those who nihilists. <laughs> Those who are products of or or purveyors of the current dominant cultural ideologies, particularly of of critical theory, what I would call yeah. a neo-Marxist view of the world, yeah. which is not meant to be in scare quotes, but your understanding is that the problems of the world are fundamentally structural and not and ethical or moral. It's just a new moral. take on that, being the neo. Yeah. Right. Um, and and then some of the attendant theories of of uh, economics and environmentalism and um, and human rights and on and on. And on. So the, yeah. those are downstream from some of those presuppositions that's more the movement i mean that that movement as a movement has has declared open war right they they have declared that because of that worldview your structures and and your ideology are the problem that must be removed from this nation they for don't progress. have a replacement but we need to destroy what exists right yeah once you do that, that's going to put your easygoing nature to the test because now you have a, a significant and encroaching worldview uh, that is that is systematically driving you from from your cultural homes, right? Yeah. And and there's a couple different ways to go about responding to that. One is outculture them, right? And be be your culture so vibrantly and so compellingly that you you begin to recognize if i win my kids they can't win the war right and if if i win my neighbors they can't win the war if if i'm if i'm creating such a desirable thing here then then the alternative doesn't make a lot more progress hmm. the other option is uh the more populist route which is what i think we see behind stores like that uh, cuz the kind of folks that are buying those and waving them they're not typically the folks that are going to go down and wave them in people's faces on a college campus, right? right? They're That's going to wear them around people that agree with them. Yeah, like, they're, like they're going to wear them to the barbecue, yeah. you know, the neighborhood barbecue, and you know, and Joe down the street is going to go, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, that that's the reaction they're going for, as opposed to that being a, in general a call to arms. You know, mm -hmm. let's all pick up rocks and go storm and and uh, you know, light a building on fire. Sure. So, so I would see that more as a as a symptom of of the of the remaining the remaining waves that are still working their way through the nation from the big populist bowling ball that was dropped in our pond when when Donald Trump arose to political ascendancy in America. And and then all the subsequent stuff with BLM <laughs> summer and um, right and all of that. Yeah, and behind uh, that I think is a is a a cultural existential dread that a certain way of life is being systematically eradicated and nobody quite knows how to build a firewall against it. So mm. that's interesting because I think as a Christian, that is where I feel pressure right now as a, as a dad, um, as a husband, but, mm. but most importantly, my identity is as a Christian. Right. And that's kind of where I'm going with this. How does a Christian live in this world? Because <laughs> Segway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we might, get, I think we'll keep the, the civilization article up because it's useful. Um, 
because you mentioned there's two ways to react. And there was the latter. Yeah, I should have said pop- at least two. Those are the two that popped into my yeah, head. Yeah, there's definitely probably, two. Yeah. But, but I think the first one, Kat, there's a lot mm-hmm. tucked under that, right? Winning, yes. your culture winning. And the question is winning, what does that mean? I think right. for some it yeah. is like the Ben Shapiros of the world who uh, I appreciate his perspective, respect his mind, what a sharp mind. But his view, he actually, I, I believe, I don't listen to him as much um, as I once did, um, but I believe he's of the perspective of we... Every conservative in California should leave and move to Mm. Texas or Florida. And his point is because your vote, your presence is wasted. So he has a very strategic utilitarian view. I've oversimplified it just now, I'm sure. But I mean, that is his message. And I think there are a lot of people that are like that, that you need to Mm self-sort along the lines of people that have similar values, maybe not similar faith beliefs, but similar values, similar similar political goals Mm -hmm. and objectives. You see some of this with people in Washington saying, I've had enough. And they move five miles away to Post Falls, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, guys, you're still here. (laughs) But (laughs) but to them, they've made a statement of some kind. Um, But as a believer, as a Christian, that question of win them with what? My question would be if the taxes were higher in Idaho, but the values were the same, which way would they move? (laughs) At the end of the day, we're all hypocrites. Right. And I, and I think, you know, we, we've got, we've got, we want a virtue signal and then, and then, you know, it's not going to help my, it's not going to hurt my pocketbook either. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I go back to, as a Christian, win them what to win. What does that mean? Right. And I think does it, does winning mean that I recreate the 1950s? Because I think for a no. lot of people, I think for a lot of people, uh, maybe they wouldn't pick that decade, but I think for a lot of people, They'd be satisfied if their neighbors remained unsaved, but acted like Christians. I think there'd be Mm. a satisfaction there. Now, they'd still keep evangelizing, but I think they would feel better about the country if everybody acted like a Christian, uh, as opposed to what's happening now, where you've got a whole group of folks that that view Christianity as oppression, right? Right. So. As a, as a result though, like what's, how does a Christian engage in this, in this new world that we're in? Do we, do we seek to, to, um, do we seek political remedies? Do we seek cultural and entertainment remedies? Uh, speaking of Shapiro, since I mentioned him, you know, he's created this, he and a few others, this thing called Daily Wire and they're creating mm-hmm. conservative entertainment. And actually I don't mind at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, or as Christians is the, is the way to live that no matter what's going on is my goal, introducing people to Christ and so, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I probably put too fine a point on it, but I think that's the challenge for a lot mm-hmm. of believers these days, because you're getting all these mixed messages that, uh, I need to defend a way of life and maybe, maybe not, but is, do you defend the way of life at the expense of your testimony? And I think, and, and then what does that mean to have a testimony? Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that, I, I've laid it out there. I'll let you guys get your input on that. Yeah, and I, and I think the answer to that is that Christians just need to live with gospel intentionality. Hey, there it is. So, uh, and, and what I mean Go by on. that is that whatever we're doing, that we're doing it with the, through that lens of uh, of looking for opportunities to share the gospel and bring the gospel to bear. And, and so, you know, that doesn't mean that we just roll over on things like you know whatever it may be in our culture, but it, all, it also doesn't necessarily mean that we try to become a stumbling block for the culture as far yeah. as that's sort of, you know, we want the gospel to be a stumbling block. Uh, we want, we want Jesus to be the stumbling block actually, but, uh, in the gospel. Um, and so, and so if people are getting hung up on things, it should be, should be the gospel, the truth of, of the gospel, not, not, 
not necessarily us picketing something, right? Yeah. At the same time, I mean, if, you know, we shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, that's great if they put in a, you know, a sex shop on my block or something, right? Um, or it's great if they start teaching, you know, um, whatever in public school, uh, whatever, yeah. which they're already teaching. But anyway. But, but, but that, that, that would be not – that would be tolerating sin, right? Which, sure. again, we're called to be um, – we're called to purity, right? But mm-hmm. I, I do think I – th- I'm spot on with you there about um, gospel intentionality because that's the priority. What well, is? And, and I don't think we're going to win. I, I don't. I don't personally believe, and I think we're seeing this in other cultures than the church in other cultures um, that have been Christian. Uh, you know, Christian, quote unquote Christian in the you know Christendom sense, where you know they maybe <laughs> haven't been Christian. Yeah. <laughs> maybe haven't been Christian. Actually, Christian for a long time. Well, like Europe, I mean, for example. Well, um, clearly mean, that had yeah. a. Oh, go ahead. Go well, ahead. I yeah. mean, like, like our country, technically, right? Yeah. We've just gone. I mean, like you were saying earlier, there are a lot of people that are just content if their neighbors just acted like Christians. Yeah. But that is what we had for a long time. They weren't actually Christians. Everybody just said they were a Christian, and so we went. Oh, everybody's a Christian, and so we assumed, an American, they're a Christian, we assumed right? that all our neighbors were Christians, and we didn't actually. I we didn't actually worry mm-hmm. about evangelizing right. everyone and actually bringing the gospel to bear and actually preaching the gospel to our neighbors for a long time. And that's not everybody. I know it's a blanket statement, but, uh, but I think that's where we've lost so much of the ground war. And, and, you know, we're like, Oh no, we'll just wait till the Billy Graham crusade comes through. And then, right. and then everybody right. will get saved or we'll wait for this next big evangelism event or this next activity or, or whatever it may be looking for that to be the solution for, for evangelism. And really it has to be, it has to be, uh, the saints equipped for the work of the ministry and that the work of that minute, the ministry is yes, sometimes volunteering in church. That's a part of it. It's, it's, you know, it's doing things, uh, a small group and bringing the gospel to bear in, in our own lives. It's, it's encouraging one another, all the one another's right that we see in scripture. That's a part of the ministry. And the other part is the preaching of the gospel to those who, who need to hear it that are outside the walls of the church, which is, they're all over, right? It doesn't take very far. You don't look very far. We're surrounded. I, I was listening to a couple of guys talk about this recently um, online, and I really appreciated talking about intentionality. They were they were talking about, and they're just kind of more comparing notes with the record button on, which would made it even more interesting. They were talking about how I think one of them was in the Bay Area, um, another one was out in the Midwest somewhere. <laughs> But he talked about how he moved into a neighborhood, a former pastor, I think he, I'm not sure he's still a pastor, maybe he's an author or something now, but moved into a neighborhood that he intentionally moved to. It was one of these trendy urban neighborhoods, everything in walking distance, um, very progressive. And they moved there because they'd prayed about it, and that's where they thought that God wanted them to move. So they moved in and within a few days of arrival, Somebody, uh, he heard a knock at the door. He went and answered the door and it was, um, the, the woman who lived across the street. He didn't know that she just said, hi, I'm so-and-so I live across the street mm-hmm. and I hate, I won't give all the, the adjective. I hate evangelicals. And she mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it, as he shared the story, he was like, so, okay. She did, she'd, she'd heard I was coming in and she wanted to go mark the territory, which she did. <laughs> now, what's interesting though is. Um, I have to say as a, as a believer, you've got a choice in that moment, right? Do I get fired up and offended or do I say, okay, this is where I live. And my objective now is to introduce these people to Christ. And, and what these guys were talking about, what he, they do, 
this guy does routinely is they started sending out invites on the next door app to their neighborhood, not to come hear a gospel presentation, just mm-hmm. to come to the house for like a barbecue or something. And he said that the, by the way, that lady who said that it took a while, but eventually there was a redemption story there. Praise God. It's fantastic. Right. But, um, he said the first time they did this, like 10 people showed up, hmm. which they were surprised, or it might even been five. It was a small number. And he said, we just spent the whole time trying to build community with our neighbors, you know, where in a sense, I guess he, he reminds me of a mission sermon I heard once that we're not hunting, we're fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, so he sp- they did that. Hmm. And Except it, biblical fishing is a lot more like hunting. <laughs> well, with nets, you know, uh, net, nets. You go find the school and then you throw your net over them. Uh, well, I, I, I think sometimes, yeah, I think some of us confuse rifles with the net, you know. Yeah. I'm going to go get that guy. So they, they did that I didn't, and I, they just had people over. And he talked about how over time, like the next month they did it, 10 people came. Next month after, and this thing grew up to like 50 people. And he, and he said, the biggest testimony we had was the fact that we were trying to build some sense of community because most of the communities out there are, it's complete isolation. Mm. People don't know each other anymore. People don't know their neighbors anymore. And as a result, they're grumpy and curmudgeon And mm. um, anyway, the point he made was that over time, a number of those people came to Christ mm. because they were just, they were being different than the culture. The culture's already angry. The culture's already divisive. The culture's already opinionated. I mean, if, if you, if you respect religious fervor, um, you got to respect the religious fervor of the left because those are some religious folks. They don't want to admit it, but by goodness, are they religious? Um, they're just, it's false religion. So I think that's something that's going to be that, you know, for me personally, I'm trying to do better at because it is a, it is a habit. It is a muscle memory that I've never been taught that, uh, that this is the Christian for those of us living in a post-Christian America, the goal is not to get America to act like Christians again. Uh, the goal is to, if you want to change, if you want to change this nation, Hmm. you're not going to do it politically. You're not going to do it with business resources. You're not going to do it with some grandiose strategy. You're going to do it by, following what Jesus told us to do in the great commission, mm-hmm. go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. And that's how hearts are changed. So I think as a Christian, um, some might say, well, done, Nate, we've been doing that all along. And I would argue to say, I don't know that I have, I'm not sure as a, as a, as a, 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 a modern American church we have, because if we had, we, things wouldn't be going downhill. Right. I think, I think mm-hmm. something was missed along the way. So I think it's, 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 it's a great challenge to us to live. And Chris, you've, you've, shared, I think some great wisdom on this show, even with our kids that, uh, we're not trying to, oh, we're not trying to bubble wrap. You gave an example with your kids. One of your sons was playing on the branch of a tree, right? <laughs> is that, and he could have fallen and hurt and hurt himself. And maybe he did. Right. But is that risky? Yes. But that's life, right? Like to, to constantly be bubble wrapping them is, is not good. Now to be reckless with them is sin too and irresponsible. But this idea of involving our kids in, in this way of we are living in enemy territory is, and, and so how do we live, live, how do we live spirit led lives on a daily basis? What does that mean? So that's kind of where I'm coming Mm. from there. Um, Chris, I want to get your, well, you too, Caleb, but we haven't given Chris much chance to to chime in. (laughs) Yeah. It, 
it's a conversation that I think it's get that gets difficult in the same way that um, any conversation that crosses institutions becomes difficult because there are different priorities and goals for different institutions. Uh, I have I have personal responsibilities as an individual, right? And I have responsibilities as a father, right? And I can't let myself off the hook for uh, what I need to be accomplishing as a father because those aren't emphasized as much in the biblical commands for what I'm supposed to be doing as an individual, right? And and vice versa. Uh, there are aspects of my own personal growth and holiness that um, I need to be focused on as an individual that may not be emphasized in passages on being a father. Uh, same thing for the church. The church has a mission and a purpose that is that is uh, distinct from just the mission and purpose of a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so there are things that Christians should be doing that is not the main purpose of the collective church as a gathered corporate body uh, and then the state uh, as well. And so I think as Christians, we have to have the wisdom and biblical knowledge to recognize different priorities in different spheres of life. And so ultimately, uh, ultimately, yes, if, if you're a Christian in, in this world, your desire has to be that as you are going, you're making disciples, seeing them baptized, seeing them, um, taught and, and ready to both know and keep in the sense of obey, but also know and keep in the sense of preserve and guard all that Jesus has commanded. Hmm. You, you can't get away from that. Uh, that doesn't then mean that you aren't interested in whether or not your nation is righteous, right? And living in a nation, my, my expectations or hopes for our nation is not that it is a quote unquote Christian nation, um, but that it's a righteous nation because that is what God said government is for. And so am I interested in government? Yes, because God made it. Am I interested in what government's supposed to be doing? Yes, because he gave it authority to do that stuff. Uh, do I know what it's supposed to be doing? Yes, it's supposed to be rewarding the good and punishing the evil. And here's here's the interesting thing. It cannot do that without a Christian worldview, right? Great. Because yeah. there is no definition of righteousness that will do other than the one that God has given to us. And so I think you can look around at a nation like ours that is the, the country is not saved, right? But a tremendous amount of our cultural heritage is a tale of, of biblically derived value systems working themselves out in the civic arena. And that has helped our nation to er eradicate and address some of its grievous cultural sins of the past. Um, it has made this a nation that is unique in world history in a lot of ways. Uh, that has afforded a lot of blessings to its people. And it is very true that if the current cultural momentum continues, there's a tremendous amount of evil that will take place in the world and in our nation and in our families, or to our families, um, that otherwise would not have taken place if, if those blessings had not been lost. What do you think is the Does mitigation? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I guess the right. question would be, um, what is the most meaningful way mm -hmm. uh, men, women of God can, can stem that tide? 
like right. like in a, other than praying. I think a lot of us are yeah. praying, but we're not just called to pray. We're we're called in addition to praying to yep. to be salt, to be light. What does that look like? Right, and I think what that looks like is understanding that you can be doing. You can be multiple things at the same time. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I can be doing is trying to be more self-disciplined, <laughs> right? Oh, it's just something I need to work on all the time. Uh, because if I am not a self-mastered man, then I will be destroyed by my own sinful desires and I will be useless to every other endeavor that mm. God would call me to. The flesh is far more dangerous right. than the devil. <laughs> and that's where I need to start, right. right? And so I cannot try to be a cultural warrior while I'm rotted out from the inside morally. Yeah. And we've seen so many leaders of the cultural right mm fall victim to that very, that very shortcoming and with massive consequences, right? Cause the culture is just waiting for, yeah. for their proofs. We have our proofs. Look at that guy. Look at that movement. Look at that group. See, and the other side of this war is doing the same thing. The second thing I can do is I can make sure that I am being faithful to my family because my family represents potentially thousands of people over time. <laughs> right? It's part of your disciple making. It's part right of my home. disciple yeah. making that I am loving my wife well, that I am loving my children well, that I am instilling truth in them and modeling what that truth should look like lived out in wise ways as that knowledge applies to the different situations in life, et cetera, et cetera. That ties into with our education conversation last mm -hmm. week and, and others like it. Um, that then also leaves the sphere of my immediate responsibility. And then it goes out to the sphere of the church and my neighborhood and the, and the people around me. Uh, how am I using my spiritual giftedness in the context of God's people for the building up of his body and mm -hmm. the strengthening of God's people in my area so that they remain encouraged and they remain equipped and they remain, um, they remain able to carry out the mission of the church. But then how am I also loving my neighbors and how am I reaching out to them and how am I getting to know them? Uh, so that, uh, I'm in a position to be the good Samaritan, you know, because if you never leave your house, you never find that guy on the side of the road, you know? And, yeah. and so there's, there's that aspect, but it, maybe a, a, a mental picture is, I think there's, there's often this weird shouting match that takes place. Uh, if you imagine uh, woodcutters <laughs> and there's this big, big shelter that's covering a uh, wood. Uh, that's, you know, chopped wood that's been stacked neatly over the course of many years and aspects of the roof are falling down. Right. And, and some of the wood has spilled down a hillside and it's uh, succumbed to just rotten decay and uh, water is starting to seep in and it's affecting the other piles of wood. And then there's several bays that are just empty. And now you've got these two guys. One is up on a ladder with some planks and a hammer and some nails. And he's like, we've got to strengthen this infrastructure to protect all this wood in here, because otherwise we're going to lose all of it. And you have another guy down on the ground with an ax heading out of the woods saying, you fool, our big failing is that we have forgotten how to cut wood. We <laughs> haven't been out there making any new wood for a long time. And so the only thing we should be doing is out there with our sharp axes and chopping down more trees and splitting more firewood. And they're both yelling at each other. And, and what will end up happening is he never actually gets out into the forest to cut down his trees. Right. And the other guy doesn't get any help. And so the structure collapses and there's nothing. Right. And all is lost. And I, I think there's a little bit of that of that tug of war that our our particular generation is uniquely stuck in the middle of. I think of in, in Revelation when uh, when the call went out to the church to strengthen from Christ, you know, strengthen what remains, right? Your, your church is weak. It's sick. It's got some major problems. You need to invest in some, some effort 
on, on the repentance and rebuilding and renewing side, but you also need to re- invest significant resources in not losing the accumulated blessings that you already have. Mm-hmm. And that principle is true for churches. I think that principle is often true for individual lives. Those habits that have been hard won in our lives, we can't abandon those habits as we grow in new areas of sanctification. We have to strengthen what remains there. I think there's also principles that are true in a nation, uh, in a nation like ours, where we have the the privilege of having inherited so many blessings to find shrewd ways that we can push back against the loss of those blessings, not because we're trying to go back to leave it to Beaver, Hmm. but because a judicial system that's based off of biblical principles is one I would much rather be governing my neighbors than one that is based off of the pagan notions that tended to uh, characterize other nations. Because the system that values my daughter as a individual with bodily autonomy and with human full dignity that's derived from a Judeo-Christian worldview is much better than, than the horrors of a pagan civilization that, mm. you know, think of, you know, the, the particularly European civilizations that predated Christendom. Uh, so those are, those are things a shrewd Christian is interested in preserving because that's what the government in our nation should be. And, a shrewd Christian is one that says, how can I most strategically be reaching my neighbors uh, with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and living that out in relationships and finding ways to integrate myself into the life of my community? And, and that's all that's all held in tension. And, you know, so where does that fall and when you're making a decision about where you live, right? right. And that's where it gets difficult. Uh, we're going through 1 Corinthians. And one of the things you see there is Paul talking to the the people in Corinth saying, man, I, got, I wish you guys were single like me because I get to go do risky stuff. I don't recommend you do if you have a family. Right. Right. <laughs> and he's writing to people that are there in Corinth and he's like, I know you're already stuck in Corinth and you're going to really get it here shortly. The persecution that you're facing, the issues that are coming up against your church are rough. So if you're single, I wouldn't get married right now because it's a really rough place to raise a family. Mm-hmm. Right. So even, even the courageous apostle Paul didn't take that as an opportunity to say, but so what if they murder you and your wife and your children? It's for the kingdom and it's for God's glory. And so go out there and do dangerous things for Jesus. He was like, you know, use some common sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, When the fire's coming, maybe don't intentionally put women and children in its way. Right. And so to a father who's saying, okay, where do I want to raise my family? And Mm -hmm. he looks and he says, "Here's, here's a place that is more honoring biblical principles of what a governance should do. And here's a place that's less honoring that. I think we need to be careful about immediately assuming that it's spiritual cowardice that makes him make the calculation to say, I'm going to put my family in a place where I believe they will be able to grow up with the most blessings and most privileges so that they can become, um, they can become the kind of people that God wants in his kingdom. Uh, and that's a stage of life thing, isn't it? And I think it can be a, a stage of life cause thing. Because I think something, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but um, <laughs> it feels like the detachment, the removal, like I totally agree. Yeah. You want, I mean, you, your kids, you have to raise your family in a place that as a dad, you're, you have made sensible decisions where they're protected, reasonably protected from harm, reasonably protected from, from, um, you the, can, you can make those decisions. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. But I, there is a point when they, I don't want to throw the other extreme under the bus yeah. either. The, the, the family that goes to the, to a dangerous mission field. Right. 
uh, because that's what they believe that God wants them. And they, and they do bring, you know, a man brings his wife, he brings his children into that environment. I'm not going to just throw him under the bus. Yeah. He needs to have thought through that very carefully and make sure he's ready to give an answer to his maker for that. Yeah. But, but for Christians on either side to say, you're spiritually inferior because you didn't make that choice that I yeah, made. That's I think, I think yeah. both sides mm-hmm. neglect the full example we have of scripture. I wonder too, as it, talking about stages of life, there's a point at which all of our kids will be out and about. And suddenly we find ourselves, um, I would say in a sense, more free again, right? There are a lot of families that go through this. They call it empty nest or whatever you want to call sure. it. Um, but, but I think again, it, look at that freedom as a yet one more thing that God's given you. How can, oh, I, and how can I leverage this in a way that, um, how can I steward this is a better word. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I've seen, I've seen some good examples of this are where people reach retirement and they don't move even further out and basically wait to die. I mean, I think this can happen, right? Oh yeah. Not trying to be flippant about it, but I think we've probably all known Christians that, that, um, uh, feel like they're out of the fight and and put out to pasture and they've put themselves in in heaven's waiting room and they're just waiting to die. Mm. No, no. And and I don't think, you know, those circumstances, you know, who knows, I'm not trying to judge Mm. it, but I think also when the kids are out and they're on their own, we've prepped Mm -hmm. them, we've done things for them. Uh, we'll continue to support them as adults and support their mm-hmm. children. But all of a sudden you have a newfound freedom. And the question is, what do you do with it? Do yeah. you, do you move to, you know, even further out onto the 50 acres and it's, it's paradise, but you mm-hmm. never see anybody again, or do you engage, I guess it comes down to a question. And, and this is something that we talk about being spirit led. How mm-hmm. do you engage? How do you, how do you be salt and light? And I think you, you mentioned a tension between two things that I think is so powerful we, you don't disengage from civic responsibilities. In fact, I think that's unbiblical. I mean, you see, mm-hmm. you see, you see scripture urge the people of God at various times to basically be, be loyal as much as you can to whatever mm-hmm. land you're in and, and be supportive um, of, of that. And you see that, you see the nation of Israel doing this when they're in exile. But I think that, so you don't ever abandon that, but then there's this other element too of, I still mm-hmm. have individual responsibility not to just watch the news and get angry and vote. Um, although I'm going to, I'm going to pull out the, the get angry part, right. But, you know, <laughs> be civically involved, go to, go to meetings, speak up, run for public office, represent mm-hmm. the, the Lord. Um, yeah. but then there's this other element too, that don't forget about the but people that's not around the full you. Gospel. Yeah. It's exactly right. <laughs> that's, what a, that's what a wise and shrewd Christian does. Yeah. And then that going, and maybe, but that's we, not the gospel. Absolutely. And we've run out of time on our, sh- on the show here, but you know, that we've talked a lot about Christ, mm-hmm. Christian families as if, you know, out in the world, but there's this whole mm-hmm. element too, of Christian families within church. What does that look like? Is it just a club we go to? Um, no, it's a family. <laughs> Um, and how do families, you know, in, in the effort to, to minister to the unsaved across the street or across town or on the other side of the world, mm-hmm. don't forget about the family around you. Cause that's part mm-hmm. of the making disciples. So I think that, you know, this is a theme that we've chatted about mm-hmm. on and off here. And I think it's a theme we're going to chat more and mm-hmm. more about as the people of God, because the, the, I guess in a way unsaved America is being more open. <laughs> They're acting like unsaved. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, it puts us more on notice. And I think mm-hmm. they're watching us more than ever. And they're watching us to confirm all of their stereotypical accusations of us, right? To just right. write us off or write, more importantly, write off the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason they're more open and the reason they're more critical is because they're being catechized by people that have no connection to that worldview and culture that yeah. that does have such deep roots in our nation. Um where they're going to, where they will eventually lose that war is the fact that they don't know how to disciple their own children because they don't make their own children and they don't know how to care for their own children. It's amazing how many of the cultural leaders in our nation hate kids. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that, that means that someday it's going to be inevitably a movement that values children that's going to dominate this this culture. I think the current ideology has the power to, to scrub the current culture, but I don't think it has any of the tools that it will need to replace it. Oh, and they aren't even and, talking about that because they don't have anything, right? Which, uh, yeah, and that's yeah. where Marx and Engels both themselves, even in their their early versions of a lot of this, they didn't have much of an eschatology. It was, uh, they got all the way up to the Battle of Armageddon, and then what? <laughs> you know? You shared something last night uh, with the, the youth that um, I, I hadn't seen. Um Oh, the lady that studied the apes for decades. <laughs> Jane Goodall. There yeah. you go. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that she was speaking in front of, I don't know, was it some sort of governmental panel or some the, kind of... It was the World Economic Forum. Oh, geez. So yeah, yeah. You, you more nonsense coming out of Davos. <laughs> yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. but what you shared was chilling. <laughs> and, and and I may, I'll just paraphrase it if I can. Uh, she's there at, da- at Davos, World Economic Forum. So the, the, the global elite... Mm-hmm. The Illuminati, the people that keep telling us how progressive we Tin need to foil be. Tinfoil hats on. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, by by the way, I, just parenthetically, uh. I want to I want to just point out one more bit of hypocrisy in our society. I saw a stat recently that it shouldn't surprise me. Fifty. Per, it was talking about global aviation. Fifty percent of the harmful carbon emissions of total global aviation comes from private jets. <laughs> that ought to put it in perspective of the hypocritical... And 70% of all those private jets are parked in which airport right now? Davos. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 you know, I, I don't want to call it righteous indignation because I'm not yeah. that sanctified. It's, the anger I feel about that uh, hypocrisy is just insane. <laughs> that the people that are constantly preaching to us about how we need to adhere to their mm-hmm. value system. Don't practice it on any level. But it's but, not their, but it's, the thing is, it's not their value system because right. they don't live it. They don't live it. They want everyone else to. <laughs> so going back to Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. who's over there and probably flew in someone's jet over there, her solution, or no, 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 I don't want to say this. Actually, I'll let you say it because I'm, I'm just going to be repeating what I, what I heard you say last night. She said to, the, to this group of the global elites, yeah, the the little clip that I mentioned last night was was her essentially making the observation that a tremendous amount of society's problems all disappear if we can solve the overpopulation issue by reducing Earth's population back to the level it was about 500 years ago, which when you actually look at that, erases, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like six and a half billion lives. Her solution to the world's problems is I believe the finale to the Marvel series where Thanos <laughs> flicked his fingers and like good all snap. Hey, there you go. We so should just start that hashtag good all hashtag, snap. Exactly. So I, as soon as you shared that last night, I thought all she did was watch Marvel and that's her answer. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Eliminate most of the people on this planet. And Except so, in that case, he snaps twice. Right. <laughs> you, you could tell I'm not an MCU fan, but, but I, but going back to it, the the and and unfortunately most of the people listen to this show well 
Unfortunately, there's probably not that many progressive uh, uh, non-Christians <laughs> that listen to this show. I wish there were. We're pretty they, hip and with it. Yeah, Come on. Yeah, sure. Look at all of us, how, how finely dressed we are, looking like middle-aged dads. But uh, uh, mm-hmm. their solution, right. the elites, the, the progressive global elite, their solution is they want you to die. That's their solution. Yeah. Takes me back. Uh, Creighton had a book uh, called Prey. Oh, Did you guys ever, I didn't read it, but I. It yeah, was one I, of these books where Prey. it was a global elite that launched a pandemic because they thought there's too many people. And of course, they, they themselves hid out from the pandemic. Right. Mm. But going back to it, Jesus stands in such stark contrast to this empty, mm-hmm. hateful world. His solution is come to me, I will give you rest. His solution is, you know, believe in who he is and who he says he is and what he did, his cross work and his resurrection, believe in him for forgiveness and redemption. Mm-hmm. That's what's that in the world that has falsely cast the gospel as something that's hateful, something that's anti-woman, anti, you know, uh, marginalized race, all this stuff. It is such utter nonsense. But I think rather than me going to my neighbor and telling her, you know, your belief system is stupid and your, your progressive value system is corrupt. It's bankrupt, even though all that's true. The way to evangelize, and I'm not kidding, her name is Karen. Um, she is a, <laughs> the nicest person in the neighborhood. Nice. The way to introduce her to Christ is to treat her as Christ would have treated her, not sacrificing truth, but showing her what the love of Christ is. Mm. And I think, I think for the, a lot of us need this little bit of, I, I need it, this wake up call that I cannot go logic Karen into meeting Christ. It doesn't mean that I talk insanity. But the gospel, but I need to, I need to introduce her to the gospel. I need to introduce her to Christ. I need to live it out in front of her with generosity, with kindness. Doesn't mean that I sacrifice truth, but all of that, it brings her to Christ. And at that point, it's a, it's the, it's that, that business is between her and her creator. Right. And, Cause and, you can't nice her to Jesus either. No, right. I've got to introduce her to truth, which is part of my niceness. But if we think, yeah, if we think the logic is the path there. And so we get angry about it because I have to get this truth through. And why don't you understand this? That's unchristian. Yeah. If we think, oh, no, the, the, the information is the obstacle. And so I just need to be super nice until she comes to me and says, whatever you believe, I want to believe that. That's also unchristian. Yeah. Uh, but speaking the truth in love and letting, and like you said, then leaving it up to her doing business with her maker on his terms and in his time, that's, that's the mission. Wouldn't it be great? And as we close here, because Caleb, I know... You've been up since the eons, so I need to let you get home. Uh, wouldn't it be great if when I told that story about the guy that moved into town and the neighbor came over and she yells at him, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. I live across the street. I hate evangelicals. Wouldn't it be great? And there's a long story about how she even knew that he was a so-called evangelical. Wouldn't it be great if when people like us, when God's people move into a neighborhood, people hear about that and they're like, oh, the good news people moved in. That's great. I don't buy what mm. they're selling, but they are the best neighbors. Wouldn't that be awesome? At least have a reputation as good as the Mormons. D- no kidding. <laughs> Everybody says that. Like when I talk about, you know, I'm, in, I'm in different cities or different parts mm-hmm. of the world working and I talk mm-hmm. about where I live and most people don't know about Spokane. Some do. Oh, what's it like there? And I say, well, it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, I start to describe the area and I'll mention, yeah, a ton of Mormons there. And the, every one of them, even the non-religious, don't they make good neighbors? Uh, you don't hear that a lot about Jesus people. And I, and, I, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think it's partly because the world hates Christ, but I think it's also we haven't done as good a job as God's called us to, to be the good news people. 
Yep. Any, I want to. I don't want to cut you guys off, but I'm seeing here we're at 75 minutes. Uh, <laughs> any any <laughs> other commentary, and I'll I'll take us out. Yeah, just the way we raise our children um, is so critical here because there's that pendulum that seems to happen every generation. You have your establishment generation and then your radical generation, then your establishment generation, then your radical generation, the one that just wants to live comfortably in the shell of what it has built. And then the one that is like abandon everything that came before and go out and do something crazy for Jesus. And for us to, as parents, I think create an incredible amount of gratitude in our children mm. that they are able to spot and appreciate every sign of God's grace around them, whether that's that they live in a neighborhood that has that has yards that are not constantly overrun by wickedness. Praise God. Hmm. That's a kindness. You know, just every little thing that they, they look around and as those that have been given the dominion mandate by God, every place that they can see, you know, I've inherited the blessings of somebody who came before me, organized this chaos, filled it full of life and then gave it to me. Hmm. Even if it's not in perfect condition, I'm thankful for that. Hmm. And I will try to endeavor to leave it better than I, I had it. And at the same time realize, and I'm in a war and all this could burn and none of that matters, but ultimately the souls of the people that are around me. Amen. And if they can keep both of those things in their minds, I think that will give them the, the, the patience and mm-hmm. endurance to run the long race and also the urgency and the motivation to be courageous when the time comes. Amen. We're better to learn to be a peacemaker than in at home with your siblings. That's got to be the most yeah. challenging <laughs> battle and, area anywhere. And, and if you want help with that, there's a good game out right now on <laughs> Kickstarter. Here we go. You get, get the, the fresh dope ear on get the, the porch. Well, get it's, the plug a, it's, in. it's a it's a it's a competitive cooperative game. How like close you are need... they to their funding that you're yeah, shilling yeah, for them on exactly. the porch? Well, actually, they're way over their funding, but uh, okay. but it's they're uh, they're actually. Uh, the game has been out for a while called Moonrakers uh, by, uh, by I think IV Studios. Anyway, mm. but they um, are you an early supporter and you're waiting? You're tired of well, waiting on the game? No, the I have plug? the game, oh, but okay. I have the base game. But but there have been many eagerly anticipating the expansions, which they just released in a in a pack three expansions on Kickstarter. You can also get the main game and a big Titan box. So if you're Boom. if you're looking for a game that that it makes you be cooperative in the sense that you have to create partnerships with other players in order to compete some of the missions in order to get the resources mm-hmm. to win. So, so it's, it's kind of a, an interesting, like, so it's more backstabby. Well, it's not, it's not, <laughs> well, it can be. Yeah. Are because you, are you part of the kickstart, Caleb? What's your, what's I am, your interest? I am a backer. Oh, you're a backer. Okay. Gotcha. I'm a, you're, yeah, you're not, a you're not a creator. Not a creator. Um, I'm getting some of the, uh, some of the, uh, extra content the swag and I'll probably get the Titan box, but we'll see. Nice. What I is, have the base game and some of the other stuff. Swag? What does swag come from? I don't know. It's got to be an acronym. Or swag. Swag, you know? Swag, swag is swag. a word. Yeah. Swag is, is, a, like, is it an acronym or a I, I'm uh, assuming it just comes from swagger. I'm not, and I, I don't know. It's just one of those words that occasionally I say, and then I wonder... I hope that doesn't mean something uh, bad. So if it does with one of you etymologists want to let me know. Speaking of etymology, I got called out on a call. <laughs> I got clipped. It was a big call. Oh, I was no. trying to make a joke. There was a lot of tension in the air because, you know, that's the nature of big calls. And uh, somebody used a, a particularly colorful phrase that, you know, aside from the... the uh, the profanity in it was actually pretty creative. And so <laughs> I, I couldn't help but chuckle a little bit. And I, 
I asked him, I said, what is the etymology of that particular colloquialism? At which point somebody said, uh, let's not go there, Nate. Let's get back. <laughs> it was my meeting. I was like, what the heck? Anyway, uh, there's nothing funnier oh, than big words being strung together, right? That's right. Well, let's let's wrap this up. I guess it's my job since We've I intro our last mm-hmm. words together. Yeah, that's right. I really enjoyed the conversation, guys. Good to be back here on the porch. Um you know, other than the usual outro that we do, which is, folks, if you like this show, give us a rating. And by the way, share man, it. Man, man, man. Share it because, um, I mean, if you think it's a good show, then, then you know, maybe other people would enjoy it too. Um, but, uh, you know, give us the, all that good stuff. We appreciate the support. But uh, I do want to close on a, a great quote that I read recently. And, I'm, and I may not get it word for word right, but I thought it was pretty good. Hmm. And it was by, uh, by an old pastor. Uh, who's since gone home to be with the Lord. And it was, if you're not dead, God's not done with you yet. So I said, I, you know, I like the simplicity of that. I think we need some of that simplicity, which mm. means if you're hearing, if you're listening to this message, if you're listening to this discussion, God is not done with mm. you yet. I got to say, guys, I, I, I think at some point in my upbringing, um, especially my church goings ons, I used to think, I don't want to get put on the shelf. I don't want to get put on the shelf. Do this, do that, do that. And I don't mm. want to get put on the shelf. Um, are there certain sins that have a dramatic effect on you? Absolutely. And they are to be avoided at all costs and not only to honor the name of the Lord, but God gives us these things uh, to protect us from harm. But on the other hand, um, no one ever think God's put you on the shelf. You're still here. You're still in the place that he puts you for Mm -hmm. a reason. Uh, the nation of Israel, they didn't go out in all the world. So he put them out into the world for a purpose. Uh, the people of God, you are no mm-hmm. exception today. So if you're not dead, God ain't done with you yet. Those are the words of Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Mm. <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you next time here on Bombadil's Porch. Porch.